How are we doing? You okay? Is that nice? Be still. Oh, I love that. Okay, so we're going to dive in. Two more things to outgrow. Say few, only two. Only two. We're nearly there. Nearly Easter. Two more hurdles that I'm convinced we all really want to be able to get over once and for all. Why? Because, because we know the grief they cause us. Why? Because we know what Jesus taught us. And also, because it's frustrating, isn't it, to keep falling into the same pothole, to keep banging our heads against the same brick walls. Maybe that's just me. Today, we're going to be looking at the topic of unoffendability. Not a real word, apparently. Should be. And it goes like this. How is it, how is it that after all those years and all that experience, that that particular type of person still manages to get under my skin? Why do we still lose the plot where, when uninsensitive people unwittingly press on that nerve? Why, when we thought we'd let that disappointment go, does it keep coming back to bite us? Why do we take offense so easily, even though we know the imperative to forgive, even though we know the power of grace, even though we understand the frailty of humanity. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Hebrews 12.15, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Colossians 4.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now for me, and this wonderful magic non-word that should be a word, goes back to a conversation I was having with, uh, with a friend of mine, a mentor really, a Canadian called Guy Chevreau. And I remember he'd been speaking at a conference, and this is one of his his topics, and he came back and he said something like this, it's not just that we should be less easily offended, we need to become unoffendable. Let that sink in for a second. It's not just a matter of, of becoming less easily offended, we'd all love to be less easily offended, it would save us a lot of grief. Actually, more than that, we, we need to strive to become unoffendable. I remember hearing him say that that day, and perhaps it's because I like a challenge. I thought, you know, that, that sits really well with me. I would love to be unoffendable. What does that mean? When, when it inevitably happens, when a offense shouts at us and jumps up and down, when offense knocks us and shakes us, the, the unoffendable, do not let it derail them or, or sabotage them or distract them. And as a result, they do not allow it to take root and to cause the damage that it inevitably will, if it does. 
Now, through this series, we've looked at comparisons between maturity and immaturity, and between spirituality and carnality. And you know, in essence, the spiritual and the carnal, they deal with that offense seed very differently. And this is where the rubber hits the road. What are you going to do when that irritating person contradicts you? What are you going to do when that, that angry person lashes out at you? Or that opinionated person is thoughtless? Or that bully tramples on you? Or that insensitive person provokes your deep, lingering wound? What are you going to do? The question is, is it going to be the spiritual man or woman that arises, or the carnal? And I think the answer to that is, is we all have wins and losses. We all have successes and failures. We all have good days and bad days with this. I do. There's a reason I am preaching on this today, and it's nothing to do with you. You can read between those lines. And I do want to say, as we said all through this series, this is not intended to be a beat-me-up message. This is intended to be a, a how can I help you avoid that pothole in the road that's always going to be there and that seems to have this mystical, magnetic pull to it. And the trouble is, you see, we know that it causes us hurt and pain and regret. We know that it stirs up anger and maybe fear. We know that it risks damaging relationships that we hold dear, possibly with the person sitting next to you right now. So as we un unpick that, the first question I want to ask, and hopefully answer, is why, why are we still vulnerable to offense? You know, we understand the imperative to forgive. We, we, we know the power of grace. We've seen it in action. We, we recognize that, that, that our fellow man, we're, we're frail. We're imperfect. We mess up. Why are we still then vulnerable to offense? And I'm going to propose three reasons, and I'm going to go through a lot of this material really quickly today. The first one is this. Why are we still vulnerable to offense? Number one, your natural personality is vulnerable to certain forms of perceived intimidation so you self-protect. What do I mean by that? In empathetic people are oversensitive to negative feelings. You know, they're empathetic. It's, they're aware that they, they can see what other people can't, but it makes them, unfortunately, a little bit vulnerable because they tend to be oversensitive and pick up on negative emotions that may or may not be there. Another example, the compassionate, they, they love, but you know what, sometimes they get rejected back. The gentle can at times be treated like a doormat. Overthinkers. Overthinkers often read more into a given situation than is actually there. And they're distrusting. But we'll always be on the lookout for red flags. And you know what, any, any of these have the potential to be or to form or to become 
a seed of offense. And our natural personality is a little vulnerable. So we're already oversensitive around those areas. And so the danger, of course, that we then take offense and a stronghold starts to form. Second reason. Second reason is that we have deep, old wounds that we will do anything to safeguard, so we, we hedgehog. I think we all tend, probably understandably, to be defensive around our wounds, particularly recurring ones. You know, that might have been a history of rejection. It might have been abuse or ridicule or bullying. It might be heartbreak. It might be grief. It might be backstabbing or betrayal. So the danger is protecting that wound is that, is that we, we jump to conclusions and perhaps we even jump to offense as a, as a form of automatic self-protection mechanism. And of course, the trouble with hedgehogging is those prickles, sharp, get hurt. The third one, this may just be me, the third one is our minds become trained to worst case scenario. Do you know what I mean by that? So we teach ourselves in certain situations to recoil just in case it goes where we fear it might. The psychological term here would be, would be magnification. And I think it's fair to say that human nature tends to, to run threats around and around in its mind. And if you're anything like me, you have the habit of turning a, a, a molehill into a mountain. You know, your, your fantasy world, if left unchecked, can take us to crazy and irrational places. Until it becomes a scary monster. Scary monsters to be avoided at all costs. And you know what? Looking back at some of those past hurts and wounds, it, it might well be a monster. But you know what? The Bible has a whole lot to say about who is on the victory side. Don't show your hands. Don't show your cards. Anyone have any of those? Anyone have all of those? Is anyone already unoffendable? Anyone like me who'd love to be quite, quite a bit closer to the unoffendable line? A couple of minutes just quickly looking at, at a biblical hero of unoffendability. One of, I think, everyone's favorite Old Testament characters is Joseph. Joseph, son of Jacob. He of many brothers and a fancy coat. Remember him? Joseph had numerous excellent opportunities to take offense in his life. But you know what? He refused to allow offense to steal his destiny. His jealous brothers threw him into an abandoned well. They were definitely not unoffendable. You know, rather than wallowing in that for the next 20 years, he was taken to Egypt in a slave train and he was set to work and he set himself to work. 
Next one, if you remember the story, his, his boss Potiphar threw him, him in prison when his lustful wife made a pass at him. And then to make a bad situation worse, the butler, remember the butler? One, he'd helped there in prison, helped him get out. If you remember, he forgot about Joseph and left him rotting in that jail cell. But through all of that, many years, Joseph kept his heart pure. Joseph bounced back again and again, and he kept focused on what God had called him to do. That dream, remember? And of course, Joseph ended up promoted to a position of honor in his captive's kingdom. And ultimately, he was used as a vehicle of deliverance for the very family that had betrayed him. Summed up in that amazing line in Genesis 50:20, what the enemy intended for harm, God has worked for good. Contrast that with some of the stories we hear on the news. You know, picture with me, there's a court, courtroom scene, the bereaved are in there, they're weeping, protesting and beating their chests. We won't rest until we get justice. I could never forgive him, never. They hear of people attending parole hearings 25 years later to make sure they never get out. And you can contrast that with amazing cases, people I'm in awe of. Case of Christians who graciously and immediately and totally forgive their assailants. Please for telling question. Who in those scenarios ends up bound up? Who ends up angry and resentful and miserable? And who there ends up at peace? Who comes out strong and whole? The answer, of course, is the unoffendable. Okay, let's have a little look at the, the theory really quickly this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27. We've seen this verse before in this series. And Paul wrote, In your anger do not sin. Quote, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Powerful verse. I'm going to rewrite it slightly into our context. It still applies. And it goes like this. In your offense, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down before you have forgiven. And do not give the devil a foothold. Have you heard this quote before? It goes something like this. If you allow a seed of offense, to take root in the soil of insecurity, we talked about that last week, that produces a root of bitterness leading to the fruit of resentment. The idea that that little seed, that little offense seed, can grow into something devastating. That, that bitter root can be like a, a barb in your heart which keeps on tugging and twisting and manipulating. Oh, without doubt, this is where our enemy does some of his most effective and darkest work. You might have heard quotes like this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, but expecting the other person to die. Or unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time 
for someone else's crime. A lot of truth in those statements. Unforgiveness is a prison. Bitterness is a disease. The fear of man, Proverbs says, is a, is a snare. No wonder Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now here's the reality. If you live in a world full of people, every now and again, you are going to be offended. The question is, what are you going to do with that offense seed? You know, similar, similar to the anger scenario, there, there are things it's right to be offended by. You, you should be disappointed with or frustrated by. A, a bit like righteous anger, you should have a reaction to injustice or, or to lies or to crime or to, to folly or to evil. It's a blasphemy. Without doubt, offense seeds are going to be sown. The question is, what are you going to do with them? Let's take a quick look again at that Ephesians 4 principle. In your offense, do not sin. Do not let, go the, do not let the sun go down before you have forgiven. And do not give the devil a foothold. Really quickly, summary, three points. Number one, it is possible... For, for, for offense to, to spill over and become sinful and harmful. Number two, we can get directly from this verse. Unforgiveness gives the devil a foothold. It opens just the crack of a door through which he can worm in and get up to untold mischief. And then thirdly, the secret behind all of this is before the sun goes down, forgive and let that offense go. Quick look again at those three verses I read earlier. Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Hebrews 12.15, see, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's what it does. You've got to stop it before it gets to that point. And then Colossians 4.13, really strong theological statement. Make allowance for other people's faults. Guess what? They got them. Guess what? Even you've got them. I even, even I've got some. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Okay, four, four pieces to go, right? Number one is the obstacles to unoffendability, which I think is going to help. Number two is how to become unoffendable, where we're headed. Number three, what will happen if you do? And then number four, what's this got to do with clothed in power? which is where I said this series kind of tied in. So let's go through those. Num number one, the obstacles to unoffendability. Here's a list of, of, of lessons we all need to learn. And I'm at the front of the queue. A, a list of conclusions that we all need to reach and attitudes that, that just need to shift if we are to become unoffendable. And it goes something like this. You will never be unoffendable if 
I think there's seven on my list. Number one is, if you have to win the argument. You know, being proved right is overrated. Galatians 2.20 this is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. And it goes on to talk about how our flesh has been crucified. I remember Guy Chabot talking about this, said, a, a dead man cannot be offended. And the question is, can we put our flesh to death? Didn't Jesus talk about that? And so actually, there's no more nerves to, to poke and jab and provoke. You have to win the argument. You'll never be unoffendable. You have to win every argument. Are you secure enough to agree to disagree? Or, or humble enough to accept that actually you may well not be right? Number two, you will never be unoffendable if you are still convinced that everyone else ought to pay the price. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We are so much better off leaving this stuff to him. Number three, you will never be unoffendable if you've not taken your wounds to the healer for healing. Now, if it is raw, it will get jabbed and you will probably react. That's why we preach on this stuff over and over and over. It's why we offer prayer ministry response time every single week so you can take your work, to your, your, your wounds to the healer. Who does great things? Who does impossible things? Number four, you will never be unoffendable if you are a judger, not a discerner. That's where we're headed next week. Jesus said something, didn't he, about, about taking the log out of your own eye before you start trying to get the speck out of your neighbors. And here's a thought. What, what, what God and your flesh are saying will rarely be the same. And here's, here's the point. The unoffendable have learned to see what God sees, to discern rather than to judge. The flesh will rise up and jump and take offense and get upset. The unoffendable have learned to 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 subdue that and to look through the eyes of grace instead. Which leads on to number five. You will never be unoffendable until grace rules everywhere, all the time. This is where we're trying to go, certainly where I'm trying to go. You know, the philosophy cannot be grace, grace, grace for me, but judgment for them, Lord, because they deserve it, so whack them. But me, I grace for me. That, that can't be our philosophy. That, that's really wonky. It is a powerful revelation. If you haven't got this one yet, I, I, I recommend you, you meditate it a bit. No one is perfect. Why do we expect them to be? Everyone is on a journey just like me. And it would therefore be ridiculous to expect them to be perfect. If you're like me, everyone else needs Endless grace. Nearly there are this number six. You will never be unoffendable if you still think it's a good thing for anger and frustration and impatience to be the dominant force and the loudest voice. We've already covered this. I think the Bible calls that carnality, 
And that's something that we have to outgrow. And last one, don't have time to delve into this in great detail. I think you probably know this principle. You will never be unoffendable until you grasp that there is a gospel imperative that says, because I have been forgiven, I have an obligation to forgive. Strong New Testament principle. Jesus taught it a lot. The apostles talked about it too. Which means that the unoffendable have become radical, habitual, stake in the ground forgivers. In fact, they've learned not to let the sun go down until they've forgiven. And as a result, the unoffendable have degrees of freedom that few other people experience. So those are some of the attitudes that need to shift, some of the revelations we need to get. How, let, let's get to the nub. How, how do we become unoffendable? You know, this won't be through hardening your heart. It won't be through building defensive walls or numbing yourself against people and pain. It won't be by sheer willpower. It comes from these five things. Number one is truly grasping the importance and the power of forgiveness. In making a once and for all decision that because Jesus has forgiven me, I will therefore forgive everyone and everybody, whatever, every time. Forgiveness underpins this whole thing. Key number two. Number two is we need to become completely filled and governed by grace. So that we always see and think and act through a grace lens rather than a judgment one. I make no apologies for constantly hammering this value. It's over there on the wall, always full of grace. Kingdom culture, barn values, top of the list. Really is key on so many levels. And I'd say this, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Let's become a people of grace in a world of ungrace. Number two. Number three, uh, keys to unoffendability. Number three is having a strong word filter over your thoughts. You know, with that filter in place, rather than overreacting, rather than responding to that wound or that insecurity, we will, we will start to respond habitually from the biblical principles of truth and wisdom. So the moral is train yourself to filter. Paul said to take that thought captive so the seed never gets a chance to even take root. Number four, going through these really quickly. This is what Connect Group is for. You can really dig into this. Number four is Awareness. You will not become offendable until you have acknowledged the wound and then taken it to the Lord for healing. You know, you need to know who it is or what it is that causes you to recoil. And then you need to renew your mind thoroughly in that area. And then number five, which I suggest you don't take literally, number five is to write the word unoffendable upon your forehead. You know, make it, make it a target, what I've done, some success, some failure. Make it a target, make it a life goal to become unoffendable. 
The reality is you'll probably never quite get there. We're all just a little bit too flawed and insecure and vulnerable. Hey, what a great target. What's the little line that we say to our kids? Aim for the stars and you might reach the moon. Here's the good news. If you could become unoffendable, you would avoid a whole bunch of pain. Probably avoid inflicting a whole bunch of pain on the person sitting next to you. You would avoid a whole bunch of unnecessary confrontation, relational breakdown, personal heartache, bitterness and resentment. You'd avoid a whole number of sleepless nights and a lot of lost joy and a lot of stolen peace. Not only that, you'd become a fantastic and compelling and attractive witness to the power of the gospel. Last piece before we respond. What's this got to do with clothed with power? As we've already discussed over and over, we are supposed to be clothed with power, endoodunamis, Luke 24, 49. 10-week series on that. And our kingdom mandate is to be blessers, not curses. It's to be agents of grace in that world of ungrace. It's to be motivated by what the Holy Spirit is saying, not sidetracked by what our flesh is saying. And you know what, to do that, to, to be that, to, to minister like that, we need to have a sanctified, spiritually mature relationship with offense. Rather than letting that, that offense seed become exaggerated in our thoughts or, or to take root in our heart, we get to take it captive and to pray. We get to pray blessing. This is what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. We get to pray blessing. When everyone around you is cursing, where there's every opportunity for offense, you get to pray blessing and to unleash and release the power of God. You get to pray the outpouring of grace. You get to pray whatever it is the Holy Spirit inspires. You get to pray boldly, pray mountain-moving faith. In essence, you get to unleash the power of God. How can we unleash the power of God if we're bound up in offense and unforgiveness? That's a fantastic way for the enemy to, de to distract us from our purpose and to keep us from the power of God. The good news is any person, any situation, any relationship can be redeemed. And so rather than, rather than receiving the offense seed, we have the ability to pray the power of God into the very situation that birthed that seed. That's a powerful line. I'm going to say that again. Rather than receiving that offense seed, we have the ability to pray the power of God into the very situation that birthed that seed. And if we do, if we do, then it can be redeemed. It can be sanctified. It can be transformed. Genesis 50, 20, what the enemy intended for harm, God has worked for good. Okay. I'd like to invite the worship team come to the front. I realize that does include me, but I'm going to stay here just for one minute. How do we respond to this today? 
I'm going to give you three possible responses. I suggest you pick one. And the first one is this. I'm going to invite you to make a stake in the ground. What do I mean by that? Bang that stake in once and for all. A stake in the ground decision that you are going to be a forgiver. Always. Whoever. Whenever. Whatever. To become a radical and perpetual and habitual forgiver. Said forgiveness underpins this whole thing. And I know this is difficult. I know this is a challenge. This is not an easy call. I wonder today if there are a few people in the room who'd like to pray that prayer and say, Lord, I want to be a forgiver. Whenever, whatever, however. Number one. Number two, this one is for the offended. And I understand we've all been subject to offense probably over and over. Number two today is to take your unforgiveness to the Lord. All of it. You know, the act, it's not a, a particularly attractive thought, but the act of letting go is like the lancing of a boil. You know, all that bitterness, all that resentment, all that pain can drain away. But it starts with the act of forgiving. In fact, it's utterly impossible without it. No amount of therapy will do the job of the act of forgiving. So response option number two, this morning and the prayer ministry team will happily help you with that if you like. Take your unforgiveness to the Lord. The number three, ask God to refine you. Remember refreshing last time, the refiner's fire. Ask God to refine you until you are always full of grace. And I'd encourage you this morning to pray a dangerous prayer. Something like this, Lord, put me slap bang in the middle of your potter's wheel. Take me on the journey that I need to take until I become a grace man, until I become a grace woman till I am operating by and ruled by and inspired by grace at every point and at every turn. Now, just one last thought before I close. Last week, I had the pleasure of sitting there and listening to a wonderful message on insecurity. And it came to response time. And I don't know if you know, I, I was there on my knees. And, and a thought rolled into my head, and it went something like this. I think there's a question that you should be answering. I'm going to say there's a big smile on my face. You want to say we love you, Jamie? You can say whatever you like. <laughs> I don't think you should be asking yourself, and it's something like this, I don't think you should be asking yourself, should I respond? You should be asking yourself, is there a reason why I shouldn't? <laughs> is there anyone here who's got this all sorted out? You know, we, we open the floor, God has got unlimited power to change and bless and transform you. Is there anybody here who wouldn't benefit from being a little bit more gracious? Get up the front. Why wouldn't you respond to that? He says the big smile. Praise that you will forgive me and not take offense. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do, I'll pray very briefly. Um, and then we're going to sing. And then we're going to respond. And then I think we're going to do Mother's Day a bit more, which will be fun. So why don't we stand? Team, you can get ready, properly ready. I'm going to plug myself in and I'll pray really quickly. And it goes something like this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for gave us. We didn't deserve it one bit. 
gave us everything, and you've brought us into all this life of opportunity. Father, all you ask for in return is our hearts. And Lord, we're honest, our hearts are vulnerable. Our hearts have been battered and bruised a bit through this thing called life. We thank you that you are the healer. And I pray over everyone in this room today, I pray that they would learn the lessons of forgiveness, the power of this principle. For anyone who has got unforgiveness, it's just holding them in those chains. Lord, would they release it today in the power of your grace. And Lord, would you take us all on that transforming journey. Lord, if necessary, turn the refiner's fire temperature up a little bit until we become gracious, until we become full of grace. Jesus, who came to this earth, full of grace and full of truth. Lord, we want to be like that. Holy Spirit, recognize that we can do none of this in our own strength. The only way we can do it is to throw our arms open wide and say, yes, Lord, please. Come and do in me what only you can do. So that you might be able to do through me what it is that you purpose to do.